Good evening and welcome back to Masks Weekly Radio Show on Family Matters. Mask mothers and fathers align saving kids, kids of all ages and all stages for all mental health struggles, including addiction, molestation, school issues. If you know someone that needs a referral for a therapist, a parent support group that we still offer by Zoom, please call us 718-758-0400. I'll repeat the number. You may want to jot it down for yourself, for a loved one, a neighbor, or someone you sit next to, usually in shul. Our number is 718-758-0400. And remember, all calls are strictly confidential. One could call anonymous and describe a situation, and we will try and get them to the right therapist, psychiatrist, inpatient, outpatient program, yeshiva liaison, rehab, whatever it is you may need, we will try and help guide you in the right direction. Um, So tonight I'm really, really happy to have on with me a colleague that I know a very long time and always have the nicest things to say about her and her clients that we refer to her, and that is... Avital Ariaf, who I usually address as Tali. Hi, Tali. How are you? Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm really happy to have you on. Tali is a psychotherapist for children, uh, for young adults. She's in private practice in Brooklyn. And Tali specializes in, you know, behavioral challenges, anxiety, OCD, selective mutism, which there's a lot going on of, social skills deficits, and family difficulties. Um, She's also the supervisor and coordinator of programs that I will ask her about, and she'll speak more about them. And I just want to say thank you for making the time for being on for us tonight. Sure, of course. My pleasure. First of all, I have to thank you for the amazing work that you are doing for our community. I know people personally who have gotten amazing on-target referrals, people I was struggling to refer accurately, and you just found them zeroed in on the right people and all the awareness and destigmatization you bring to the community. You know, when I see your ads, firm time, different times, and I just realize that you're changing the conversation in a way that's very important for the community, besides for the concrete services that you provide for the people who call you. So thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, and we're thanking our staff at Mass. So, uh, Tali, I really wanted to have you on tonight and speak about um, what experience you have with working with kids of divorce. Okay. 
Sure. So um, I work with kids, teens and young adults, like you say, and I would say divorce is not the majority of my practice, but it's a significant and important piece. I have personal experience with divorce as a child of divorce. And so it's a cause that it's a it's an area that's dear to my heart. And I always love to give back and help kids through. And um, I would say that, you know, I actually think sometimes the kids of divorce are a step ahead of other clients who come in where really there's so much going on in the home that's stressful and it's not overtly discussed. Like one thing that kids have um, when they know that there's a divorce and it's out there is that we can address things because things that are hidden are are stigmatized, are maybe not overtly spoken out, and that creates a lot of psychological pressure on children. So if you're a parent who divorced and you're listening to this, or you're a parent who's contemplating divorce, or you're a parent who's listening to this from a place of stress about a marital situation, you're not sure where you're headed, I would say that it's very, very important that things be addressed and discussed, not in an age-inappropriate way, but in a clear and understandable way for children. So I have worked with children in my private practice. I've worked with children as a school-based therapist in Missouris, where I was for 10 years, and I also directed... Um, the clinical program at my extended family for a few right. years. That's where I got to know Ruhama. Right. And my extended family, just speak about them for a moment, please. It's a wonderful organization. I'd like to give a shout out to them. If you could just give a little bit of a background for my listeners. So I haven't been there in a while, so I'm not so current, but it started off here in Flatbush, run by Rabbi Mrs. Vigler, and it's currently run by Rabbi Donnie Jandoff, my amazing colleague. And it basically provides after-school support, mentoring, activities, homework help for kids of divorce. I know that they have, um, or I know that they have set up in Muncie and Farakaway. I'm, I'm not, you know, up to date on all their current developments, but I do know that. Um, you know, it's definitely a unique um, service in the firm community. There are a few Hasidic organizations that run something similar, and it's definitely a valuable and badly needed organization. And Ruhama, you definitely did a lot of boosting of it at the beginning. So a lot of the credit for that goes to you, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. And it is, in, they do programs in memory of my niece, Allah Shalom Ruhama Chaya, from Abbasdov. Shalom, and Peril, the mom should be well and have a long life. So, yeah, um, my extended family deals with uh, children of divorce. So, let's go back to what are some of the common concerns that kids of divorce come into your office have? Okay, sure. So, um, kids of divorce usually come in typically will come in in a state of some level of emotional shutdown. Um, from an attachment perspective, you know, there's a secure attachment, which is attachment theory is basically, just to give a little background, is basically based on research that was done by Dr. Balvey, which basically put a child in a strange situation, a young child, um, in a strange situation, meaning a room that they weren't familiar with without their parents. And based on how well they adjusted to the room and how well they connected back to their parent when the parent came back into the room, he developed attachment theory. And attachment theory basically says that a secure attachment means that the child basically feels 
comfortable and safe and secure even when the parent is not present. And then he had disorganized attachment, which is what you would see in a case of divorce, I'm sorry, not of divorce, in a case of abuse or a case of, um, you know, a very changing parent, let's say a parent who's not stable emotionally and varies very much in how they interact with the child, where sometimes they can be very, very loving and sometimes very rejecting or even violent. Um, Those kids had a disorganized attachment. They couldn't settle in in the room. And when the parent came back, they weren't really interested in the parent. And they couldn't really settle in either stage of the experiment. And then he had anxious attachment, which is probably a large segment of humanity has some form of anxious attachment style. And there are many subgroups of this, but just in a very rough outline, anxious attachment is divided into two basic types. One is avoidant and one is preoccupied. So preoccupied attachment means that um, the child kind of desperately was looking for the parent when the parent came back and then when the when the parent was out and then when the parent came back into the room, the child kind of, you know, couldn't settle and feel safe with the parent. And avoidant attachment, avoidant anxious attachment means that when the, at first the child maybe was a little upset, but then they settled into the room and then when the parent came back in, they were not interested in the child, in the parent. They would actually turn their heads. If you Google these experiments on YouTube. It's very, um, it's very interesting to see how the the kids like literally turn their heads away from the parents. So he extrapolated from this and generalized that people form attachment patterns in early childhood, and these connect to how they interact with their primary relationships throughout their lives. So it wouldn't necessarily be triggered by casual relationships or friendships, but it will be triggered by intimate relationships. So either marriages or or with parents or very, very close relationships will will trigger our attachment style. And in therapy, typically the client will transfer their attachment style onto the therapist. That's something that we want them to do so we can work it through and get it to a healthy place. So avoidant attachment, people with avoidant attachment typically will not want to express their emotions. They'll come come across with a persona of, feeling that they're okay and they're fine and I don't really need you and I don't know why I'm in therapy and, um, you know, difficulty with vulnerability. So very, very often that's the presentation that I get with divorce is a kid who is, you know, has a hard time trusting, a hard time feeling safe in the room. That's one profile. Um, I also get, you know, some kids who are very eager to have someone to talk to and connect very nicely. Obviously there's a huge range and we can't generalize, but one thing that I see consistently with divorce is that we're trying to do attachment work. We want to restabilize the system as well, because many times the parents don't feel so stable. They're also going through a trauma, and probably they've went through some years of difficulty prior to the actual divorce. So stabilizing the system, forming healthy attachments, um, helping children express what they're experiencing, helping them express their needs, communicate with their peers about what they're going through rather than shutting down or feeling shame. And also psychoeducation, telling them what to expect, what's a judge, what's custody, a whole new world for them. So this is like the work that is done typically with divorce, obviously in cases where there was another factor besides divorce, such as, you know, a, a, a parent grappling with a very significant challenge that has a whole added dimension to the work. Absolutely. So we know that 
the percentage of divorce has skyrocketed, unfortunately and sadly. But what would you advise parents uh, to consider in terms of their children before deciding divorce? Well, that's a hard question because no one can really answer for someone else what life choices they should make in terms of whether it's better to stay in a difficult situation or to leave it for the children. That's really, that's above my pay grade. That's the kind of thing that, you know, someone bigger than me has to answer. But what has to be considered is really for myself as a healthy human being and for my children, what will be the most productive and healthy and stable way that we can live our lives. You know, um, I was interviewing a different therapist for something that I run, and she was saying the solution to marital problems in the secular world is divorce. But in our world, it has traditionally been less so. And But she, this therapist was saying that, you know, unfortunately, and this is true, many times, with divorce, it's coming out of the frying pan and into the fire. It brings a whole new level of challenge and difficulty. Many times before the end of the marriage, you know, people think if I get out of it, it will be better. And sometimes they're right. And sometimes it's really just setting a whole, it's, it's trading one set of problems for a whole new set of problems. So really, I think the key to consider is what is really going to be the end game, not to have a fantasized version of, you know, things getting all better and finding a new person and everything's going to be amazing, which I don't think most people do have that. I do think most people are realistic, but I think some people underestimate the toll that divorce takes on them and their children. That's been my clinical experience. And so um, I would say it really needs to be worked out individually with your own love, your own therapist. For some people, divorce is the biggest bracha. It's the biggest relief. It's a relief for their children. It's a Yeshua for them. It's exactly what they needed. For some people, unfortunately, it brings a lot of unanticipated grief. So talking to people who have been through it, talking to people who are able to support you in the current environment, if that's what you need, and really figuring out what will be the most stable and healthy thing for all of us, including the parents, not just the children, but the children as well, obviously. You know, I don't think I'm saying anything new. I think most people take this decision very, very seriously. Absolutely. Uh, so parents decide they're getting divorced. What do you suggest as a therapist that deals with these children, how they can best explain to their child that their decision is to divorce? Okay, and so there are great no, books out there. There aren't, you know, there isn't just one way. We know that. No, of course not. Right. So this is a very well-researched and explored topic in the general therapy literature. There are so many books out there. I'm sure, Wuhama, you can get them. Yes. You know, great referrals for that. Um, there's, but I personally use the book Dinosaurs Divorced a lot for little kids. It's available on Amazon, and it's um, just a pictorial, gra like a graphic, a comic book, basically, for kids um, about divorce. And... The general advice for kids of divorce is to just be very straightforward, not to use euphemisms, not to beat around the bush, not to try to shield them from things, but at the same time to be age appropriate. So you want to have a very straight out, clear conversation, something along the lines of mommy and daddy or mommy and Tati or Abba and Ima are getting divorced. That means that we're not going to be living together and we're not going to be married to each other anymore. Um, it's very important to reassure the children that it has nothing to do with them. 
and it's not their fault and there's nothing they could have done to prevent it. And also to, you know, give them some language for feelings they may be experiencing. Like you could be sad, you could be confused, you could be angry, you could be, you could be relieved, you know, help them realize that many different feelings are normal. And then reassure them also that they're safe, that someone will take care of them, even though it's going to be different people taking care of them. You know, it's not going to be exactly the same. Let's say it will be, you know, it could be mommy moving into the grandparents' house, or it could be that they'll be back and forth between two homes, whatever it is, it's going to be a little different, their setup, but it's still going to be someone taking care of them. They're not going to be alone. That would be for younger children. For older children, it obviously needs to be a little more complex. They need some level of explanation as to what happened. One thing that's very, very important that parents need to realize is that I think a lot of times when parents divorce, they want to teach the, you know, usually there's, there's different types of divorce. Some are very amicable. We, we, you know, we're just not a shidduch. We, this wasn't working out, but I respect your father. I respect your mother. You know, you guys, we, I want you to have a great relationship. That's obviously ideal. But sometimes there's a situation where there really is something problematic going on and the children have gotten some inkling of it. It's very, very important to portray that as a person who, you know, wasn't at their best or a person who couldn't do better, but not as a person who was bad because children are, in essence, products of their parents. Their parents are inside of them. And if we teach a child that their parent is bad, um, we're really essentially saying that there's a piece of them inside. There's a part that's bad. And you never want to give your children that thought that something about them is wrong or corrupt. You know, children of um, all sorts of very difficult, you know, criminals or, or um, the Holocaust aggressors or whatever have to grapple with coming from, um, you know, these difficult beginnings and people who they can't respect. And we never want to give our children the feeling that there's something corrupt in what made them them. So that's very important. Now, if it's something that's very, really problematic, which there are unfortunately cases like that, um, that has to be presented very carefully. I, that I would say needs to be spoken with to, to an, spoken about with an individual therapist because you do want to teach a child in those situations that certain behaviors are unacceptable. At the same time, you don't want to create self-loathing or a rejection of something that's so essential to the child in explaining this. But I would say that this is not the majority of divorces, thankfully. So, you know, I'm really describing an extreme, extreme situation with that concern. Right. And so much about divorce is being discussed now, whereas 25 years ago, nobody spoke about this. There was no right. way to even bring it up. So right. now we're really, you know, educating everyone and uh, learning in a more open fashion about uh, getting divorced. Um, I do right. want to. I want to announce that there is a book, "Helping Your Kids Cope with Divorce: The Sandcastles Way" by Dr. Yeah. Gary, Gary Newman, which is a very, very easy read, a very mm -hmm. good book. Uh, divorce is so painful and confusing, and it really breaks it down in all the topics and gives great advice. And it is 
approved in many states in their um, in divorce courts, they are using it. So again, mm -hmm. helping your kids cope with divorce, the Sandcastles way by Dr. Gary Newman. So yeah. Tali, let's talk about custody. I mean, custody is really quite complicated, many times very messy and painful post-divorce. Right. Post right. That is a very big and hard topic. I'm just going to say some points that come to mind, but there's really so much. We could go for hours with that alone. Um, so the first thing to know is that kids really have opinions about joint custody. They really, really know what they need. And it's very important when making the arrangements to hear from them. Like some kids absolutely cannot tolerate the back and forth. The two days here, two days there, they hate it. And as soon as they hit the preteen years, they stop it because they find it so exhausting. And it really is exhausting. Most, most adults could not keep a schedule like that. Um, some kids love it. They hate being away from their parents for a long time and they miss their parents and they want to be as frequently back and forth as possible. So these are very, very important things to actually hear the child's perspective. Um, some things that we could all do to make these, you know, we as a community can do is the understanding of the back and forth for these children. And certainly parents, um, you know, the kids should have clothing in two houses. That's, that's very important. Two sets of school books. You know, a seven, eight, ten-year-old child who has to remember to carry things back and forth is really carrying a burden that they shouldn't carry. Um um, in terms of, you know, some families like to do one week, one week, so that the kid has a sense of continuity. Whatever it is, it's very important that even young children should be given a voice with this. And it's also ideal. I know it's hard when things get very court involved, but it has to evolve a little as the kid's needs change. You know, a high school girl, for example, who's having production practice for her school play in Muncie does not want to come to Brooklyn in the middle of the week and this practice. So the kids' needs and the kids' schedules are very important. Sometimes what could happen is that the parents get locked into this dance where everything is very rigid and, um, you know, very, very much my time, your time, and the kids don't really get as much of a voice and it can't be flexible because things have deteriorated to the point that everything has to be negotiated. So as much as it's possible to avoid a very rigid approach, that would be my recommendation. At the same time, boundaries that are very, very loose with custody could be difficult on children also. When kids are brought back at unexpected times of day or night, when kids don't know exactly where they're going to be at a given time, all these things are, are tough on kids. I always like for little kids to have a big calendar hanging in their room with a sticker on it for mommy time and a sticker on it for daddy time. Things should be as clear and involved with the children as possible, and it should be balanced between a structure, because children need structure, but yet enough flexibility that the kids' needs are not sacrificed to the system in which they operate, the divorce court custody system. Right. And then there's remarriage uh, for some, and we go into the blended family struggle. Uh, you want to just speak briefly about kids and how to make them comfortable when okay. 
a parent remarries? Sure. So again, that is a whole huge topic. Um, but basically, it's very important for these things as well that the kids need to be considered and the kids have a voice. So if the kids feel comfortable with the person, it should not just be ceremonial that the person, you know, if a parent says, I'm remarrying, but you get to say no, and they're basically getting engaged that night, that's a very tough breakout to a child. The child should get to know the person gradually. Um, the, the parent, the child should, obviously they don't have, they don't have veto power over their parents' life, but there should be some sense that children aren't being forced into something. There should be some sense of collaboration in terms of making family adjustments. Again, it's a very hard balance, and I think everyone needs to speak to an individual therapist about how to do it. But the more things are thrust on the children, the more they pull back. Um, things that are, are, you know, a big change, let's say a family that's going to change communities or change Manhagen, um, have to be really considered very carefully because children will push back if things are forced on them and children will push back if they're forced to move and certain things in terms of the setup, like having to share bedrooms with new siblings or having to make arrangements that are physically different for them are things that have to be done very carefully. Really the rule of thumb is to imagine if it were you, if you had to move because someone in your family required something, what would make you feel comfortable? You know, they're not really children in the sense that they can just go along with whatever the adults want as they would be had the parents kind of, you know, organically grown the family. When you push the family together, the individual person's needs are more um, important in a certain way than when the family grows naturally from two parents to one child, two children, three children, the amount of flexibility you could expect in a situation that happens slowly is much more than the amount of flexibility you could expect in a child who um, is having a lot of change quickly. And it's also right. very important for parents to give children private time. Tally, we can really go on and on on this subject. There's so much more to speak about. We're running out of time. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. It is a very painful topic and complicated, but the best advice you kept repeating was go get a professional for yourself to discuss the details, situations, and then get your children the help they need. So thank you very much for coming on tonight. Sure, my pleasure. And thank you so much for you know, opening up this topic and for opening up so many topics that we all benefit so much from hearing. Thank you. Hope to have you on again very soon. I'd Thank like you. Wish, I'd like to wish everyone a very good evening and a beautiful Shabbos. And always remember, hang in, hold on, and virtually still hug tight. Tonight's show is in memory of Ita Bas. Yutla. Thank you and have a good night. Please consider to go online to massparents.org and donate so that we could continue with these wonderful programs and all the programs that Mask do. Thank you. It is my wonderful pleasure to invite everyone listening to Zev Brenner's program, 
to our amazing, uh, very important uh, Yom Yerushalayim celebration, which will take place on June 1st, Wednesday evening, June 1st, at Terrace on the Park. And we are absolutely delighted to have the honorable former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Um, Mr. Pompeo has been an outstanding friend of the people of Israel and the state of Israel. We urge everyone to join us for a very meaningful celebration of Yom Yerushalayim. Uh, the program, the smorgasbord begins at 6 p.m. till 7.15, uh, followed by the program of honorees and Mr. Pompeo. Please join us for a very meaningful evening. You can call 917-297-2075, 917-297-2075. Let's show Mike Pompeo how much we appreciate his outstanding support and let's support a terrorist Kohenim making a difference on the front lines in Jerusalem. For more information about the dinner, call right now, 917-297-2075. That's 917-297-2075. Get more information about the Aterit Kohanim dinner. Please call right now, 917-297-2075. And you're listening to the Talkline Network over WVIP 93.5 FM HD2, New Rochelle, New York. We are America's only Jewish radio program on regular broadcast radio on the Internet and digital platforms. Enjoy. Enjoy. 